Lord, there's, there are so many hopes that we might have. Sometimes those hopes are founded on flimsy nothing. But Lord, our hope in you, our hope for eternal life is found in Jesus Christ, our living hope, raised from the dead that we might live forever with you. How grateful we are. We thank you. We praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So John Erskine was the, the first president of the Juilliard School of Music. And he said that he learned the most valuable lesson of his life when he was 14 years old. His music teacher, his piano teacher, asked him how much he practiced the piano every, uh, every day. And he said, I usually practice about an hour or an hour and a half at a time. And she said, don't do that. Don't do that. Because when you grow up as an adult, you will not have an hour or an hour and a half to devote to anything. So take five minutes before school, 10 minutes after school, 15 minutes after lunch. Sandwich all of that in between your chores and your studies. Practice throughout the day and music will become part of your life. Erskine stated later that her advice and following that, he was able to live a full creative life, uh, also being a professor. His most famous work, Helen of Troy, was written on streetcars commuting back and forth from home to university. Now, usually, when I hear a message begin with how to spend my time, I either end up feeling guilty or I tune it out because it's usually some overstructured person pushing their time management system on to me. And so I, uh, I, I tend to... The problem here is, not the problem, but the challenge that we have to overcome is in our text today... Paul says something about time. He says that we are to redeem the time, for the days are evil. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, Paul writes, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. By the way, debauchery comes from the Greek, uh, Greco-Roman, I should say, god Bacchus, who was the god of wine. Debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in the reading, I, I hope that you notice there are these three 
contrasts that are there. Live not as unwise, but as wise. Not as foolish, but as understanding the will of the Lord. Not as drunk with wine, but as filled with the Spirit. I also, I also want you to notice, it just seems like it, this, and this is the way it is with the writings of the Apostle Paul. Every week we find this word, therefore, and we need to find out what it's there for. This particular therefore in verse 17 looks back to living wisely and how to best use of spending your time, redeeming the time, some of your versions might say. That sentence there, that verse, means not being foolish, but understanding the Lord's will and not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit are actually a consequence, a result of living wisely. The therefore follows that, points right back to it, and it's important because we are called to live differently from the world. We're not to be conformed to the world. We contrast, in fact, the world's way of living with our way of living. And in our text, we see that God wants us to live intentional lives, specifically to live as wise and not unwise. I love the King James translation here. It says, see then that ye walked circumspectly. When was the last time you used circumspectly in a sentence? So where does that word come from and what does it mean? Uh, because it really is, it does quite capture the meaning uh, very well. So the circumference, right, is the enclosing boundary usually of a, a circle, which comes from the Latin circus, which means literally ring, which is why a three-ring circus is like triply redundant. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I can't help myself with some of these words. They're great. Anyway, spect, we've talked about that before. Spectacles, spectators means to look. So what it means is, is to look around the circle. In other words, in your life, you, you are watching, you're observant. The phrase actually comes from an accounting phrase. And it's like you're keeping the books so look uh, circumspectly, look uh, carefully. It means when you're doing the books, you can't say, is that a 10 or is that a 100? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. Let's just pick one and go on our way. No, you cannot do that. But So what is Paul's frame of reference here about living? My guess is the book of Proverbs, which tell us, uh, tells us a lot about uh, foolish Living, And I just want to offer you a few of them. Uh, Proverbs 1 tells us that the fool does not want to be told how to live. Uh, they actually despise wisdom and instruction. It's an amazing thing. When you, when you give counsel to someone and they like, yeah, I got it. I know that. Uh, okay, who am I talking to here? Proverbs 12 tells us that the fool thinks they're always right. Did you know that? The fool thinks they're always right, always, about everything. Proverbs 18 tells us the, the fool likes to express his opinion, but is not remotely interested in yours, right? 
In Proverbs 29, let's just know that because of his mouth, the fool often gets into fights. But the most telling one is not in Proverbs at all. It's in fact in Psalm, Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I've mentioned this, and, and we'll mention it again in different ways, in different times, but if there is no God, there is no standard by which to be judged. If there is no judgment, then you are free from sin. If you are free from sin, and there is no God and no standard, you make the rules. You establish what your life will be, and that's exactly what a fool does. Back to uh, Erskine's discipline, time management. What does Paul want us all to be? I mean, does he want us to be time management, efficiency experts? As good as that might be, I certainly don't criticize that. That's actually not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not saying that we need to have every minute Schedule. He is not saying that we need to be busy for busyness' sake. He's not saying don't go on vacation, that's a waste of time. He's not saying don't relax, that's a waste of time. He's not saying don't have a hobby, that's a waste of time. What he's doing is calling us for the seventh time in the book of Ephesians and the last time here to a holy way of life. He has, as well as anyone in the Bible ever did, contrasted the ugliness of what it is to live in the fallen state without Christ and the, the beauty, the desirability of living in, uh, uh, with a life that honors God. And we're called to consider this. We're, con we're called to consider how our lives are to be lived intentionally so that we don't miss God-prepared moments. So, let's understand what this time means. The wise use of time, literally translated, and some of yours will have this, is redeeming the time. So, redeem means to buy back. And it's critical to note here that the Greek word for time that's being used is not chronos. It's not chronological. It's not the tick-tock, tick-tock sequential view of time as when you look at your watch or your phone these days in order to tell what time it is. The term is actually kairos. Kairos does not mean time in that sense. Kairos instead is translated better into English as the word moment. It's an ancient, it's an ancient Greek word that means the correct or the critical or the opportune moment for action. Romans 5, 6 says this, for while we were weak at the right kairos, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The word here, kairos, not chronos. The idea is that we're not being called to detail every moment of every day and weigh it on a scale to see if it was worthy. It's essential to prioritize our time. I get that. But that's not what Paul is talking about. 
The idea here is living intentionally so that we are alert to what God has for us, to be able to seize those moments that he's actually laid out for us to do. I mean, we all have these uh, Kairos moments, whether we realize it or not. Just go to anyone's home, most anyone's home, certainly uh, in years past anyone's home, and you will find that there are photos, magnetic, stuck on their refrigerator. And all of these images, whether they're on your refrigerator or in your mind, are there for a reason. Because those particular photos or images have captured something about the relationship that you're in with the person and or something about the essence of that person all together. And they capture that, and that's Kairos. Now, for some of you, this will be easy. For some, a little harder. For some, impossible because you were not yet being. <laughs> so you need to think back to January the 27th, 1991. In 1991, doesn't sound that long ago for most of us. For some, it might. But there was no social media in 1991. Ah, breathe in that freshness there. There were no metal detectors at airports. People could actually meet you at the gate right when you got off the plane. You could go on the plane in a dash, in a hurry, running. There were no people trying to take pictures of you. There were no dogs sniffing your baggage, none of that. 9-11 was still a decade away. You could go to major sports arenas, football games, baseball games, and all of that. You could drive up to government buildings in Washington, D.C. Did you know you could do that? In the past, you could drive right up. Not anymore. Whoa, have things changed. But on January 27, 1991, it was the Super Bowl. And uh, the Bills and the the Giants were about to face off. It ended up being a one-point game. It was actually a really good game. I, I'm not so much a football fan anymore as I was then, but there was something going on in the nation. Actually, the nation was afraid. The nation was concerned just a week before the news media reported that the Pentagon had ordered upwards of 20,000 body bags because we didn't know what was going to happen when we invaded Iraq. That's what was happening then. And everyone feared the worst. And fear had gripped the nation. We needed something other than the nightly news, which still at that time was about the only thing that bound the nation together. Enter Whitney Houston. Some of you will remember this because it was absolutely one of the most profound singing of the national anthems that any of us have ever heard and probably the most unifying experience in this nation since World War II. And you had this emotionally electrifying experience and she dedicated all the proceeds of that song to the soldiers and families of those who would be killed and wounded in the Gulf War. That's Kairos. Yeah, what she had on the calendar was Kronos, but that's not what happened at that moment. 
Our Kairos moment was when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. I mean, perhaps you've experienced Kairos when you know in your heart, you know in your heart that you have given spiritual care to someone or physical care to someone, or you were able to journey with someone in a moment of tremendous need when no one else was there. And the Lord used you. And you say in your heart, of course, well, anyone would have done that or could have done that, but they didn't. You did. The Lord gave you that moment moment to tend to one of his sheep. You were the one who did that. Paul does not care if you have a day timer. He cares that you keep those divine appointments that have been made for you since the foundation of the world. I hope you know that God has set up things for you and only you to do since before the foundation of the world. That's what scripture tells us. And when we know that we're here to glorify and worship God and that we will be with him one day forever, that day, on that day, we become keenly interested in redeeming the time. We want to take every advantage of the moments that God gives to us that have eternal significance. As I've already mentioned, verse 17 begins with, Again, as we've seen numerous times over the past uh, few weeks, therefore. And it all points back, right? Everything's coming back. This particular therefore, include in, not in addition to, I should say, the immediate context, it goes back generally to 5.8, where we are now children of light. And as children of light, the challenges we looked at last week and this week is how to live in a spiritually darkened world. Therefore, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to think about that for a second. The will of the Lord is knowable. The Lord wants you to understand his will to keep your life on course. Now, while I believe that God has a personal will for your life, verse 17 isn't talking about that, not primarily. This isn't about whether you go to this or that school or take this or that job or marry this or that uh, person. Instead, in the context, this is talking about a compass point. He's talking about the general will of the Lord for your life. I mean, and, and we see these all over the text where we... 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 tells us, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will for people, it is his desired will for people to come to Christ. He allows us to say no in our rebellion. But it's also, there's more. Thessalonians 518, 1 Thessalonians 518, uh, to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. And we just saw that reflected here in this Ephesians 5 passage that we just read. God wants your attitude to change to the point of thankfulness in everything. 
The Bible tells us these qualities that it is his will for us to develop, and it warns us what his will for us to uh, avoid. How to make our lives priorities and how to make the best of our years. I mean, Moses prayed in Psalm 90, 12, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom, living wisely. I mean, this requires intentionality. You can't just roam through, and this is one of the reasons why I'm a fan of church and individual, each of us to have a mission, vision, goals. Most people, you know, they look at their lives and they they say, yep, I hit the, hit the target. What they actually did was they just took the bow and the arrow, fired it off into the field there and went out, found it, drew a bullseye around it and said, yep, that's good, I did it. No, God's word paints the bullseye, not us. And, and we must aim at that. And we're not always going to hit it. But regardless of that, if we know the direction of the target, we at least are always going to be in the right direction. So we need to look at it often. And we need to adjust and readjust accordingly. Finally, there's another thing he wants us to do to walk carefully. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Some of your versions may say dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. Now, Paul brings in this business about drinking for probably uh, two primary reasons. First, uh, it would have been likely that all these Ephesians believers came out of a, an alcohol that was dominated by life, uh, I mean, a lifestyle that was dominated by alcohol. In other words, they came out many, if not most, drunkenness, because that was the life. And so this was something that they would all know. Not only that, it's something that the people in the community and the, the friends that they have and the people that they were even trying to bring in would be consuming alcohol in uh, such quantities that they would become drunk. So Paul is doing this for that reason, but he's also doing it to draw a contrast. A contrast, kind of a comparison and contrast between what wine does and what the Holy Spirit uh, does. Because there are significant um, similarities. Because wine, one one has consumed enough, or alcohol, once consumed enough, it begins to influence your behavior. It influences what you do. In the same way, being filled with the Spirit influences what you do. And what Paul is saying is, don't be under the influence of wine, which leads to all these things that I've been describing in the last chapter and a half, but do this, be filled with the Spirit, which leads to these other things, which we'll get to in just a moment. Let me say a couple of things for clarity's sake. First, this, uh, the verb here is an imperative. That means it's a command. Do this. And it indicates not only to do it, but that it's a continual doing. This is not a once-for-all experience that he's talking about. This is something that we need to do continually. 
And so when we think about that, we think about the Holy Spirit, we ask the question, well, how am I commanded to be filled when Romans 8 9 says that I am filled uh, with the Spirit as a believer? And if I'm not, I'm not even a Christian. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we've all been baptized in the Spirit. So to put these two things together, uh, theologians and thinkers about this all through the years have, t- have taken the baptism of the Holy Spirit as one thing and the filling as a, another. And the, you're baptized when you trust Christ and you're, the filling is a repeated experience for empowerment and for godliness in service. In essence, it's Galatians 5.16, walking by means of the Spirit. We're never commanded to be baptized by the Spirit, ever, never. Uh, It's not something to pursue. However, we are commanded to be filled. Some of you may wonder, well, how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? I mean, do I, do I feel like, I mean, am I like tingle? What, what's happening here, you know? And thankfully, Paul gives us some understanding about this. First, just some practical things uh, that I'll mention and then I'll get to, to what Paul says. Are you, are you aware of sin that you're harboring? Well, if you're harboring sin, the, to the degree that you're harboring sin is to the degree that you're not being filled by the Spirit, Okay. Are you consciously yielding control to the Holy Spirit? To the degree that you're consciously yielding control, you are being filled by the Spirit. Reading His Word, engaging in spiritual disciplines like uh, prayer, uh, koinonia, fellowship with one another, then you can understand that you're filled. Thankfully, Paul actually tells us how you know. He says it right here. He gives five participles right here right after this, to let us know how we're filled with the Spirit. Speaking, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and being subject to one another. Now, these may not be the things that you expected. I mean, you may have anticipated some bold witness. You may have anticipated, you you know, to go out in the street and declare Jesus Christ, and as good as that is, that is not what Paul is talking about. You may have expected miracles or something more dramatic. Again, not what Paul is talking about. What Paul is saying is that you know you're filled with the Spirit when you sing. How cool is that? When you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, when you make a melody in your heart to the Lord. And he also says here, too, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I think most of us do pretty good on those first things. Yeah, I I sing. Man, I got the Christian music going on all the time, making melody to the Lord in my heart and uh, having my own little worship as I drive to and fro or as I run around the track or whatever I do. But what in the world is this being subject business? Being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Yeah, that's at the same level in the same list. We're going to talk about that more later, not today. That's for the uh, next uh, sermon or, or two. But it's clear that when we're filled with the Spirit in that regard, just to prep the, the subject a little bit, that we begin to set aside our rights and our privileges for the sake of others. 
Christ had the right to remain in glory in heaven, but he willingly laid that aside. He took on the form of a servant and was obedient even to death on the cross. And we should have the same attitude, submitting one to another. So last week we talked about light versus darkness. We don't simply walk in the light, we are light. And since that's true, we need to pay careful attention as to how we walk, making the most of the time, redeeming the time because the days are evil, watching for those moments that God has laid out for us to meet the purposes of God here. We need to put effort towards that. We need to live circumspectly. We need to be looking around and see that. Paul argues here what Tolkien argued through Gandalf when Frodo asked him that the ring had never come to him. And he said this, So do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time given us. We're only here for a little while. We only have one life here. And the thing that staggers me, that amazes me, is this little blip, little blip of life on this earth will determine where we spend eternity. How the endless ages to come are experienced by us is by what we do here with Jesus Christ. Our days when we trust him are no longer our own. Our days are lived for the glory of God and everything that he's given to us, our lives, our families, our jobs, every moment is to be given to him because we're called to something larger than that. And I hope that today, even today, you may have a Kairos moment with God. Father, we are incredibly blessed, incredibly blessed to, to know you. We're thankful that we have any understanding at all. We thank you for your word and your spirit. And Lord, the words that the Apostle Paul gave to us about living lives that are worthy of your calling. And may, may we do that through the power that you grant to us by the indwelling of your spirit in our hearts and lives. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.